Hello and welcome to Under the Radar. Under the Radar is a show about independent iOS app development. I'm David Smith. Usually I am joined by Marco Arment, but unfortunately he has lost his voice, and that makes podcasting profoundly difficult. But nevertheless, the show will never be longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. Okay, so um, I'm, not, I'm not sure how many people actually who listen to the show would actually would remember, but uh, back several years ago, I used to do a show um, by myself uh, called Developing Perspective, and that show um, was never longer than 15 minutes, um, which was a constraint that I put on myself, um, mostly so that I would actually do the show, um, that I found that if I said, you know, if, when I started it out, I was like, I just wanted to have a podcast, and I decided that having it be this open-ended thing was much more intimidating than every week just saying, well, I'll just sit down and, you know, think of 15 minutes of things to say. Like, that, how hard can it be to talk for 15 minutes? Um, and so I developed the skill of doing that. And then what I decided to do this week, uh, because Marco is is sick, was to um, inst- sort of refresh that skill and do two roughly 15-minute uh, segments um, of the show this week. And Partly because I think that works well uh, for a single person thing to kind of break it into chunks, but also um, just as a general rule, I try and make sure that I never lose skills once I gain them. Uh, I think in general, that's a, a good way to approach life that, you know, in general, we should hopefully be learning new things as we go. We should be improving ourselves and getting better. And uh, if I lose a skill that I've learned or it becomes too rusty to be useful, like that's that's not great. That's problematic. And so... I was like, well, this is actually a perfect opportunity for me to refresh the skill of doing a a single show, a one-man show, you know, 15 minutes or less. Um, Not because I expect to need that skill in the the short term, but nevertheless, I want to make sure I don't lose it. So that's what's sort of the general flow of this week. Um, And I'm going to do two, you know, two short segments, um, and hopefully it works. We'll be back to our normally scheduled programming next week. So if if it doesn't work, don't worry. Just come back next week, and it'll be back to normal. So for our first topic uh, that I wanted to talk about this week, uh, I'm going to talk about the perils and pitfalls of uh, developing things being driven mostly by a fear of missing out um, rather than um, a conscious choice or desire. Um, And this is a a situation that I find myself in this week. Um, And this is a pattern that has happened many times uh, over my development career where I I see an opportunity. I see something that I think I could take advantage of. I see something that I could take it, you know, I could be a part of. And sometimes these opportunities are big. Sometimes these opportunities are small. But nevertheless, you know, these are opportunities. And the pitfall and the danger that I've sort of had had to learn is that so often, while the opportunity may be good, while the opportunity may be genuine, um, it may not always be for me. It may be for, you know, it's like it may be something that isn't worth pursuing because um, it will put myself in a position down the road that um, will be slightly problematic or won't be genuine or true to my interests or passions or however you want to look at it. And the specific example why this is top of mind for me uh, this week is uh, there was an article that I'll link to in the show notes that was about um, how the new Apple Watch Series 3 uh, now has the ability to track skiing and snowboarding workouts. And Apple has kind of made a big deal about this. You know, a big article in their main PR section. Um, it's in, they seem to kind of push it out to a variety and a, you know, a pretty wide swath of news publications. Um, you know, they're, making it, they're, they're trying to make a big deal out of this. And, um, and that's awesome. And one of the, the people who are being featured in this is a friend of mine, Curtis Herbert, who makes the Slopes app, which... Um, you know, by all account, I'm not a skier or a snowboarder myself, which I'll get to in a minute. Is why this is problematic. Um, but he makes this great app that looks 
perfect. And he's, he's um, you know, had this great Slopes diary where um, he has talked through um, kind of the independent development aspects of this app. It's a, you know, it's a very, you know, he, for the most part, is an independent app that, uh, you know, he develops himself. And it's really cool to see him being um, held up there with a couple of other apps. Um, but what's awkward for me is that um, this was a feature that I thought about adding to Workouts Plus Plus. Um, because basically in the uh, the Series 3 Apple Watch, they, you know, they added a, um, you know, a, a, some tools to make monitoring skiing and snowboarding workouts fairly straightforward. Um, that in many ways I can treat them like other workout types that... Uh, like a run or a cycle or something like that, where the watch itself is doing a lot of the tricky processing um, that I ordinarily would need to uh, have done myself. You know, in terms of seg- you know segmenting your activity so that it can detect when you're you know when you're going downhill, when you're uh, maybe on a ski lift, and partitioning things out, calculating a variety of statistics about this, um, and it made it a lot fairly straightforward. And when I saw this feature come out. Um, or be added to the SDK. I knew this was something that Apple was going to kind of be be putting some weight behind, um, and I think some of that was just because a they mentioned it specifically during uh, the Series Three Apple Watch um, like on stage presentation that they made this kind of offhand comment that didn't really have any bas- any backing in like information at the time um, that he just like Jeff Williams just mentioned that this is going to be great for skiing and snowboarding apps, um, and then. It was it didn't really there wasn't much to it until um, I think it was WatchOS 4.2 um, actually added the uh, the workout types and all this workout processing stuff and so then suddenly all these apps could take advantage of it and you know it's like they, when it's mentioned on stage um, when it's mentioned kind of late cycle like this um, it seems like the kind of thing where it's a good marketing opportunity for Apple to kind of create a something topical and newsworthy about a product, you know, just try and, you know, bump up sales again. Um, not that they necessarily need it, but in terms of, you know, it's, it's this, it's uh, after the Christmas rush of watch purchases, I imagine they're looking for opportunities to, you know, give, give people a reason to get an Apple watch and specifically to get a new Apple watch, to get a series three Apple watch. And so it made sense that this was going to be something they would push. Um, and so I investigated this and I, you know, if, I will say, like, I'm not a skier or a snowboarder. I've, like, fallen down the hill uh, a few times in my life um, trying to ski uh, or trying to snowboard. But it's never really been something that I do. I, you know, it's something I've done for fun. Maybe uh, I think I did it once in the last 10 years. And, you know, it was fine and it was interesting. But it wasn't, you know, it's not something that I avidly do. It's not something that I have a passion for. Um, and I, you know, tried to implement this feature. And uh, it was in some ways straightforward, like I could very easily add it to workouts plus plus, but I didn't really know, um, how people would use it in practice, the things that they would actually want or be interested in. Um, and then also it was kind of tricky for me because to really test something like this, um, you probably have to go skiing and you probably have to go snowboarding. And I'm sure I could have found somebody, um, to beta test it or kind of work on it, but it's a hard thing if it's not something that I have really any personal connection to, um, and don't know somebody, you know, who will go skiing or snowboarding on a regular basis. Um, you know, I similarly in Workouts Plus Plus, um, I don't do it a lot of swimming myself. Um, but I have my wife and I have a, a good friend who does go swimming a lot. And they were able to give me a lot of good feedback. Um, and, you know, going swimming on a regular basis is much more practical than going skiing or snowboarding on a regular basis. And, I mean, I remember seeing Curtis talking about how he 
you know, had to go on these trips where he was, you know, skiing down a mountain with a, you know, a laptop in his backpack, trying to kind of, and then like stopping at the bottom and checking how it was working and then, you know, doing it again. And like, it's a, it's a really complicated thing to, to test and to debug. And, and there was no simulator support for it either. So uh, that was doubly tricky. Um, so in the end, I decided to not, uh, to not add this feature to, you know, to not, to not pursue, um, being part of, uh, the, you know, the push for skiing and snowboard, uh, you know, tracking apps. And, you know, and then now, uh, this week, you know, I see the, the, the fruits of what may have possibly been, um, if I had pursued it. And that's not to say that if I'd added it to Workouts Plus Plus that, you know, my app would have been caught up in this publicity push. But I think there is a, a non-zero chance of that, nevertheless. But um, I don't regret it at all. And I kind of wanted to unpack why I don't regret it. And I think it's coming from an experience I've had many times where, um, often I see something that is clear that Apple is going to push, that there is going to be this sort of this opportunity for quote unquote, like free publicity. Um, and I've got pursued it in the past, but the awkward reality is that publicity is not free. That is in fact comes with tremendous costs. Um, and often they are the kind of external hard to quantify type of costs, um, that are the most insidious, you know, for example, iMessage apps, um, was an example of something like this where, it was, you know, when I when iMessage apps were introduced to iOS, um, they were kind of, you know, pushed and promoted, and it seemed like something that Apple was going to put a fair bit of weight to. Um, and I, you know, was like, okay, great, let's go for it. Let's make some iMessage apps. And I made iMessage apps for a bunch of my apps. And as best I can tell, um, it's led to almost no use or very limited use, nevertheless. Um, you know, I, mean, I don't have great statistics for it, but I, from what I can understand, um, the apps are very poorly used and um, I have to maintain them going forward. And I didn't really get much out of it. Um, in, in that case, there was, you know, Apple was uh, promoting them um, and I, my apps were picked up in a couple of the, you know, the promotional things in the app store and, you know, certainly not to the degree of a, an article in, um, you know, in the PR section, but it was, you know, certainly something that had a little bit of push, but the awkward thing is even when I was making them, I, I was looking at these things and being like, is anyone actually going to use this? Like, is this really um, the way someone is going to, you know, choose to interact with the app? And we're, or we're like kind of forcing it into, into something that I didn't really understand, um, that I didn't use myself, and that, you know, as a result, was never really going to have that level of care and attention and quality that um, I think you, you would hope or, I, you know, I ideally have uh, in a product you make. And this is where I think sort of like the end lesson comes from this, is that it's important to, you know, develop things because you want to develop them, that because you think it'll be interesting or useful um, or ideally even something that you will use yourself on a regular basis. Um, I know for myself that my best apps are the ones that I use myself on a regular basis, that I use every day, that are solving actual felt problems that I feel um, and apps that I'm not developing out of a fear of missing out on an opportunity, that I'm not just like doing it because or to try and uh, time or take advantage of something because if I don't use if I don't use it on a regular basis, if it isn't you know sort of any in any way kind of overlapping with my interests, um, it's it even if it did, does get picked up, even if it does create an opportunity, I'm either then going to be stuck kind of maintaining something I don't care about, um, or probably more likely I'll end up having to maintain or having to kill off or 
you know, make tricky decisions about something um, that didn't actually pay off in the first place. Um, so anyway, it was just an experience I had this week that I saw this and I was like super glad and excited for the people who got picked up. Um, but definitely in the back of my mind, I had this twinge of, well, that could have been me. You know, well, well, I, I could have done that. I started going down that road. Um, and as a brief aside, slightly comedically, um, when I was initially testing this, um, because like I said, you, there's no simulator support to test my initial like prototype implementation of this. I tried to work out how best to simulate uh, skiing or snowboarding. And the best I could come up with um, in terms of a motion and activity that would simulate um, skiing was that I rode my bike up the biggest hill I could find uh, in my neighborhood and then sort of glided down the hill as, you know, sort of fairly quickly and got to the bottom, waited a minute and then walked my way back up, kind of trying to simulate being uh, in a ski lift. And I did that a couple of times to simulate uh, being a ski run, which half worked, half didn't, but was, you know, nevertheless slightly comedic. And I imagine made my neighbors think that I was kind of crazy to uh, just be, I was just biking up and down this hill over and over and over again. Um, but you know, that was not the, the life that I wanted. And so I decided to can it and I feel good about that. So, you know, just something to keep in mind that you, when you're developing things, make sure you're doing it, um, for good reasons and for reasons that you think it might be sustainable going forward. This episode of Under the Radar is brought to you by Linode. With Linode, you have access to a suite of powerful hosting options with prices starting as low as $5 a month. And you can be up and running with your own Linode server in the Linode cloud in under a minute. Linode offers industry-leading performance with native SSD storage, a 40-gigabit network, and E5 processors. They have 10 data centers spread all over the world for great redundancy, as well as moving your servers close to your customers. They have an API that's great for automating tasks and getting quickly set up and repeatedly set up, um, and as well as making everything accessible and manageable via command line. And all of Linode's pricing tiers now feature hourly billing with a monthly cap um, so that you can make sure that you're never surprised at the end of the month. And they offer great things like backups and node balancers for doing more advanced op- operations. Um, I use Linode. They are a tremendous op- they, I, they find them to be tremendously useful, and they allow me to not worry about um, the, servers, the server side of, of my hosting. I can focus on the application side, which is great. Um, they have fantastic pricing. Um, their prices for one gigabyte of RAM start at only $5 a month, and they offer all the way up to super high memory plans with 16 gigabytes of RAM. As a listener of this show, if you sign up to, at linode.com slash radar, you'll not only be supporting us, but you'll also get $20 towards any Linode plan. On a one gigabyte um, RAM plan, that would be four months free. And you also have a seven-day money-back guarantee, so there's nothing to lose. So you can go to linode.com slash radar to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of a $20 credit, or use the, como, the promo code radar, RADAR2018 at checkout um, to make the same savings. Thank you so much to Linode for sponsoring this show. All right, so I also, uh, for the second topic, for the, sec- this, 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 the second episode, the second sub-episode inside of this episode, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, communicating changes to customers. Um, and this is something that I ran into uh, this last week as well, um, where I made a big change to the way that uh, Pedometer Plus Plus works in terms of the ability to migrate steps from one app from one phone to another. You know, so if you get a new phone, you can move your old history along with it, um, even if you're not doing a backup and restore to that phone, which is a feature a lot of people have wanted for a while. Um, and it's top of mind because I added this feature that has been I have been asked you know periodically um, by by customers for a long time, and then I continued to still get support requests asking people for it. 
which clearly is a an example of the fact that you know uh, people don't really read the change notes. They don't read the what's new in the App Store. Most people probably ne- honestly never even open the updates tab in the App Store. Um, you know, if you have automatic updates turned on, um, the updates will just you know kind of happen for you in the background and. Um, even if you do periodically go there, you know, you may not have re- read the exact one associated with the most recent change um, or with a particular change, I guess. And so it's kind of a tricky thing because in my mind, I hadn't really thought about it when I did this update. Um, I hadn't really thought more de- in more detail about how best uh, to communicate this change. Uh, but, in re- but in retrospect, I really should have. It really is something that I should have talked about or thought about um, and tried to find ways to communicate uh, more directly uh, to my users about this. Because, you know, if it's a feature that they want I and, and it's in the app, um, you know, hopefully they can find it. Because for every one person who's actually going to re- reach out to me and say, hey, you know, I, it'd be great if I could do this thing. There's probably going to be 10 people who just assume it isn't there and leave the app frustrated, um, and I definitely don't want that. So first, I guess the, the first lesson from this experience is to assume that nobody ever reads the release notes. Some people will, and that's great, and I think it's important to write good release notes, to write release notes in such a way um, that they aren't just like, you know, we are always striving to make our app better. This app, this update includes stuff. Um, that's not really helpful. I don't find those kind of uh, those release, release notes particularly useful. I understand why some bigger applications, or typically is the, you know, these big baseless companies will tend to do that. But uh, And I can understand why they do that. But I find, especially being an independent developer, it's a great opportunity to endear myself slightly to uh, my users to write good change notes um, and to make them personal like i try and actually write them as though i'm writing a letter to my customer because if a customer is reading that that is functionally what i'm doing i'm you know i'm directly communicating with them and so i want to take advantage of that Uh, but i think i need to assume that nobody's ever going to read those Um, and so uh, think about whenever i make changes to the application how to communicate that Um, the one extreme um, this is something that i've never done myself and honestly i would not recommend but it's probably worth mentioning is the approach of the like big pop-up or banner um, or like the modal blocking walkthrough or you can do the thing where like the first time you've launched the app you have like it's slightly grayed out with like call outs or arrows or you know bubbles like you can really go on the one extreme very heavy-handed with this and be like hey look over here here's this cool new thing um, and the reason I tend to not like those is it assumes that a, that the user is going to be interested in whatever the new feature is, um, you know, that they're going to want to go, you know, that they want to interrupt whatever it is they're doing. Um, even though in this case you're interrupting them in th- ostensibly for their benefit, it's still you're interrupting them. You're still doing something that uh, is not the reason they opened the app in the first place, most likely. And so um, it's you're kind of getting in their way. And it also is, it, it kind of is awkward to manage in terms of which, you know, in practice, most applications have a lots of more, lot, many more new users um, than existing users. Like over time, your user base will grow, which is wonderful, hopefully. But you know, it's there's this this the retention rate of most applications is relatively low. You know, say ten percent, twenty percent, and so you're most of your people are being onboarded for the first time anyway, and so you really you know you should also make sure that it is optimized not just for communicating change. Um, but for communicating in the first place, that for helping a new user understand the application, and you can't 
You know, it's not like if every time I make a change, I added a new pop-up or a new bubble or something to the application, you know, and you launch the app and it's like, here's 26 things. You end up with, um, you know, these screens, um, you often see them in like Mac apps where it's like, you know, would you like the tip of the day? And um, it's a kind of an, an inelegant solution to this problem where, you know, if your app has gotten so com- complex or detailed to the point that, um, you know, users are going to need lots of help to find their way around, like that's tricky and problematic and I can it's understandable. Like I'm not saying it's a bad thing in that situation, but I try and avoid it if I can uh, because I'd much rather have an application that is intuitive and understandable um, without needing to resort to something like that. So um, how, to, how to do it? And as I was thinking about this and what am I going to be doing going forward um, is the, a, a great thing to do is to make careful tweaks to the copy, to the text of the application to help make these things uh, clearer. So in this case, um, the way that I implemented it um, is that you can now, I've always in the app had the ability to export your step data to a CSV file. Um, so, you know, so you can export it for people, some people like to do it um, for, you know, use in Excel or numbers or something, or they want to, you know, they want to be able to, you know, have a, an exchangeable format of their step data. So great. I've added that. I have, I've had that in the app for a very long time. And with the export feature, I in- included the sort of the export transfer file, um, in the same email that you get when you export the CSV. Because that was very straightforward, it was very simple to do there, um, and intuitively it made sense um, to me. But I realized in retrospect, um, there's no way for them to know that this new thing is now there. And so one little change I'm going to make is I'm going to tweak the, 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 the copy of that section of the app. So rather than saying export steps, you'll now say export slash transfer steps. Um, and it still keeps it simple. It still doesn't create this, you know, not like duplicating buttons and options in the application, which could add more complexity, but I'm just adding a word. And I think that word will go a long way to, um, communicating that this is possible. And hopefully for new customers who find themselves in a situation where they want to transfer their steps, they'll now immediately know how to go there. Um, another thing that it comes to mind, and this doesn't apply to my particular situation, uh, but is that it's important to always think about uh, what the default for a new option should be um, and be thoughtful about this, because that's often a great way for a customer to understand or to come across a new feature. Um, so, for example, in my big update that I'm working on for Sleep Plus Plus, um, I'm adding a the concept of a nightly sleep goal. You know, so say, how many hours of sleep would you like to have a night? Um, and there's a bunch of little cues within the application to try and make it, you know, to try and reward you or encourage you when you've done that and not like punish you, but to make make you aware of the time of, you know, the times when you haven't been able to do that. And, um, you know, you start to think about, well, how am I going to communicate this new feature? Well, it's like, hey, it's important to have a thoughtful default that um, if I default that to a number that is too high, it's going to come across immediately in the negative, you know, so if the first time you launch the app and it says, you know, essentially all, all the nights turn red because, oh man, you, you know, you haven't been hitting your sleep goal recently, but they haven't even set their sleep goal. Well, that's kind of, that's not so great. So instead I'm going to set the, you know, like I'm going to default the goal to something on the lower side of what is still probably considered good. So I think I'm going to go for seven hours. Um, you know, it's like in general, most people say eight hours is a good goal for sleep. I'm going to start at seven. Um, and then hopefully for a lot of people, 
they'll have a lot of, you know, have this kind of nice mix of red and green steps. You start to be like, or of red and green knights. Um, you look at it and be like, oh, this is great. Like you, something's interesting is happening here. Maybe you go to settings and maybe you find out that you can now set this goal. But I'm kind of trying to do it in a way by using the default such that it is intriguing rather than uh, confounding. Um, hopefully that will help. And I think in just in general, whenever you add a new feature, um, it's, you know, it's something that you have to keep in mind um, that you know, you're, you're probably going to need to choose an option. Should, you know, should this feature be turned on by default or off by default? You know, does the user need to, uh, should, should they want, should they have to actively take, take steps to turn it on or should it just automatically be turned on? Um, and you just have to be really thoughtful about this. Um, one thing that's also kind of awkward with this a lot of times I find is it's where it's deciding the right time to prompt for privacy options in iOS. So as another example, in the Sleepless Plus update, there's uh, automatic sleep tracking now, um, which requires that you give me um, your, you know, prompt you, I, that you have to give me permission to access a variety of other uh, health database types. And in general, that, you know, is is fine, but I don't want to necessarily, you know, the, the first time you launch the app after you uh, have installed the update to just immediately prop up this health dialogue out of nowhere saying, hey, hey, I need your health data. Like, that's kind of creepy and not really great. And so what I'm expecting to do instead is pop up a, a a message at the top of the app, at the top of the main table view saying, hey, the app can do sleep automatic sleep uh, sleep tracking now would you like to enable it and have a little switch there and if they hit the switch um, it'll pop up the health permission prompt at that point uh, and i think that's going to be a much more um, comfortable thing that you know more people are going to want to actually um, give me access to their health data in that way and i think overall that's probably uh, going to be a more successful way to communicate that than just popping up the health prompt and assuming they want to turn it on because honestly most people do want to probably want to turn it on uh, but nevertheless, if I prompt, if I just pop it up right away, initially, like that's might be really confusing, or it might not be um, a nice feeling that like, all of a sudden, they didn't do nothing changed from their perspective, because the app just updated underneath of them. And then now all of a sudden, I'm asking for their health data. So that's just something I'm, I'm going to do there. But I think it's important to just be thinking about this process and to think about how to make it um, useful for your use for you for your customers and to just, you know, kind of allow you to get full credit in some ways for these changes that you're making. Uh, though I suppose no matter what you do here, um, it's also probably just worth saying, uh, expect that people are still going to miss it and that people you're still going to get support requests asking for features that are things that you missed. Um, and I'll leave you with something that I think it was, I think it was Gus Mueller, um, the maker of uh, Acorn, was talking about once when I was talking with him. And he was saying how um, he... I didn't think it was him. He was talking about how he likes getting customer support requests for things that are confusing uh, because they're an opportunity to see where the problems are in your design and to improve on them. That you know, if you if you can look at you know when someone misses something as um, as a negative experience, that like someone asking for a customer support is can be a bad thing. But on the flip side, you know, here's an opportunity to make the app clearer. That someone has told you, hey here's this part of your application that was confusing or problematic or difficult. Um, and so it gives you an opportunity to design a fix for it. And so have, taking that perspective of like, in this case, you know, communicating change is an opportunity. And if, if you try and communicate that change uh, and your customer doesn't get it, then, you know, that's a, a fault on yours to hopefully correct going forward. All right, that's it for this, uh, this week. Like I said, hopefully 
Um, next week, we'll be back to our normally scheduled programming. Hopefully, Marco will find his voice again, um, and we can go back to our normal thing. But anyway, other than that, I hope you have a good week, and I will talk to you later. Bye.